Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for this time. Build us up this Sunday and each Sunday and every time we open your word to read it, to meditate on it, to be taught by it. We'd ask that you would um, build us into the Christians you wish us to be. In your son's name, amen. We're in Titus 1. God willing, we may. this is half of Titus. God willing, the next half of Titus will be next Sunday. And it was the second half of Titus I was looking at yesterday uh, because I had, something had prompted me to look at it and I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is so good. With Titus, I was just telling Roy, Titus is one of those uh, books that if you're a Christian... It's like jumping into a hot tub. It's just a, really comfortable. It's the, the, the faith, the life, what, is, what Christ is, and it's just such positive uh, claims. Now, it's dealing with problems that Titus is supposed to deal with, but it's such a tidy and short book and so filled with wonderful things of the faith that it's a great revisit every time you go through Titus. I'd, I'd been through Titus uh, here at church two and a half years ago. Um, and I know you probably remember those sermons. Maybe not. Maybe not. But even as I was looking at my notes from two and a half years ago and, and other years when we've been through it, each time you look at the word especially when it's a rich portion like, like Titus says, you could, you could drive a different axis through the passage, which is as much there as the one you went through before, the stressing different aspects of it. It's three chapters long. We go through one and a half chapters today. And I apologize First word in the notes, Adrian pointed out to me as I walked in. Typo. First word. I mean that my my family's ashamed. Feather. Feather faith. I don't know. We could maybe guess further faith. Okay. Pastor's been laughed at. That's uh, let's move on to St. Paul. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised ages ago and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by command of God our Savior that's one of the best intros it lines out a kind of a thematic statement, what we're about. And I'd like, if anything, as we go through the scriptures, any number of Sundays or any time you're in the Word, you're really looking for a clear description of what Christ wants you to be as a Christian. Because you want to be like him. You want to be one of his faithful Less so that you want to find a church that describes a Christian you'd like to be, or is kind of cool, or is, you know, appealing in some fashion. We're trying to find out what is. 
And here, Paul is taking on the responsibility to further the faith and further your knowledge of the truth. And it's the kind of truth that builds something. It says, that accords with godliness. It's not just truth as truth. A lot of things are true. Uh, gravity is 32 feet per second squared. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Those are true. I don't mind if you believe them because they're true. Um, or know them because they're true. But they don't accord with godliness. Paul is about furthering your faith, furthering your knowledge with an intention that it build a godliness. Building a hope in the hope of eternal life. Not just hope that it's going to get better. Not just hope that your church is going to grow. Not just hope that that, uh, that girl who's really, 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 really cute will like you someday. A lot of hopes out there. The hope of eternal life, which God promised to you. And that has been manifested. This is kind of, we were talking yesterday at Drones Club, we were talking about what was the point of history besides the atonement. This is kind of the real point of history. God promised ages ago that these things were going to come to pass. Faith, truth that made godliness, hope of eternal life, and that is the message, he says, I've been entrusted to preach. At the proper time, it was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted. So Paul's whole ministry is to build this sort of thing up in believers. So what's that look like? I mean, further faith, further knowledge, hope of eternal life. What's it? What's the preaching of Paul look like? As I was looking at this this morning, I have this note on the side. There's a kind of onward quality to this, you know, that wherever you are, there's an onward you can go. Wherever you are, there's a better Christian you can be. <coughs> and we're concerned in Christian circles, because guys like pastors are always coming up with their methodologies. Um, there's a, there's a radio commercial on one of the stations. Somebody, you know, this kind of uh, self-help, businessy self-help uh, teacher, book guy. And his whole thing is intentional living. <coughs> intentional living. Because you don't want to be unintentional, I guess. We're always looking for little buzz phrases. And Christianity is full of them. Pastors are full of it. I mean, full of them. They want to grab your attention. We're always aware there's something not quite present in our lives. We know we're needing to go onward. We want to hold as Christians, everything we take on, it's not so much important that you be intentional about this, or missional, I guess that's something Christians talk about, missional living. Be missional if you want, but are you being furthered in the faith? Are you being furthered in the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness? Are you being built up in the hope 
of eternal life. It's not, you know, if you want to live some kind of um, incarnational way, missional way, whatever it is, intentional way, God bless you. But you've got a responsibility to be the recipient of this ministry of Paul. Like Titus, to Titus, my true child, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective. Now, is he talking about what's about to come, the advice he's about to give, or the directions he's about to give, when he says, this is why I left you, wait for the instructions I'm about to, I'm about to tell you, or that his purpose in the introduction is what he expects to be the purpose of Titus in Crete. This is why I left you there, so that what was defective, what, what isn't this, gets resolved. To fix what's defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now in this, Titus and uh, 1 Timothy both have qualifications for bishops, uh, elders, whatever you want to call them. Well, we call them bishops because the word episkopos means overseer, and elder is the word presbyteros, like presbyterian. So either one is used. Uh, and here it uses both terms, elders and bishop, uh, no, no difference. But it's very easy for us to step away from Paul's point. Paul's point is to serve up what Christianity looks like. Because, and, and this is where we have to concern ourselves at All Souls, as to whether or not we're one of those groups of Christians that are defective and need to be amended. How do we approach this further faith, this further knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness, our hope of eternal life? Because someone can hope in eternal life, say, I've told this story before, but I was telling it to someone earlier this week, when my dad worked at Concordia Lutheran College in Ann Arbor, um, he, uh, he was the bookstore, uh, student bookstore manager. And so they had to buy their textbooks from him. And he asked all these parochially educated Lutheran kids questions about their faith when they came in. Who is Jesus Christ? What, you know, what is the chief end of man, basically? And they gave those nice Lutheran catechized answers. You are saved by grace through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Big thing in Lutheran history, Lutheran circles. Now, then he would ask him, if you died right now, where would you go? Most of them didn't know. And when asked why, some of them said straight to hell. Lutheran students going into the ministry. Straight to hell. Most of them said, I don't know. And when he asked them why they didn't know, they had just said, we are saved by grace through faith. And when he asked them, how, why didn't they know they were going to heaven? They said, I don't know how good you have to be to get to heaven. Why? 
people, everybody hopes for eternal life. Most of Christendom thinks, i got to be X good to go to heaven. Even out of churches that train them from little tiny bodies up to adult bodies to chant back the incantational Protestant mystery verse that you are saved by grace through faith, not of your own doing. And they still believe that they're saved by works. So just because we say we have the hope of eternal life, just because we say we have the furtherance of the faith, and these people are catechizing small children, thinking they're furthering the faith. Guess what? They're not. They think they're hoping in eternal life, and they think their hope is rooted in being good enough to impress God that they wouldn't mind you in the neighborhood. That's why we have to amend what is defective. Is Christianity that you believe the Christianity of the Apostle Paul and the Christianity of Titus, his emissary, do we need to amend what is defective? It's so easy for us, one of the big defects, and we're going to see this in this section, you get a list here of qualifications. I don't mean, I'm a pastor, okay, or bishop, if you'd like to use the term, bish for short. And I know this is a list of qualifications, and I know it's kind of like when you have a passage about giving. Okay? Everybody's a little nervous. Pastors are always talking about giving. Pastors get a little nervous when they have to teach through the qualification to be what they're doing. Especially if their kids are little rat bastards. Okay, that's then because there's a you know, we'll get to that in a moment. But I'm not telling you to no, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, to pay no attention to, to Evan's actual life, but I want you to think about how you read lists. To point elders in every town as I directed you, if any man is blameless, the husband of one wife, and his believers, children are believers, and not open to the charge of being profligate or insubordinate. For a bishop as God's steward must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy, and self-controlled. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to confute those who contradict it. And what happens? It's a great list. It's a little different than the one in Timothy. There's a few other things listed in Timothy. Um, we, almost, we almost, you know, clap our pudgy hands for joy. Because if you're going to write a book of church order, a constitution of your church, if you're going to come up with the rules, what could be better? An apostle giving you a list. And your mind says, rules. Because that's how you see lists. Well, it must be. They must be blameless. If any man is blameless, he must be blameless. Or don't we get to all things we must be by rules? 
Maybe we don't understand the truth that accords with godliness. Because Christianity isn't works. It isn't keeping the law. Even if you invent a new Christian law. We need to amend ourselves. We need to be fixed. We need to have pastors that look like that. How do you get to look like that? Well, I know. We just make sure for the future generations of the All Souls denomination, don't get your hopes up. We have no... I mean, this must be... You guys are just here because it's Super Bowl Sunday and you know that all good Christians go to church on Super Bowl Sunday. It's like Easter. So we have a little, a little, you know, extra. We have some out-of-towners visiting. How do we make sure that future pastors, assuming the one you have isn't disobedient to this, match this list? Well, of course, we put it in the book of church order and make sure that they're rigorously tested in a three-hour exam I want you to think about what you're doing with these lists. Is this describing? They must be blameless. If any man is blameless, and we know that that is the concern. Is this person the kind of person that people don't hold blame toward? And then he lists a bunch of things that naturally come up. We were talking about the dinner table. Um, Jesse brought this up. Uh, we were talking about what qualities do you dislike most in people. We were discussing. Um, I was saying, oh, well, uh, youth. I hate the youth. But she actually had hypocrisy. And she had grown up or been in situations in church where the hypocrisy of the pastorate was huge. And perhaps even you know the phrase, pastor's kid. Well, what does it mean? Worst kid in town. That's what it means. Oddly enough, that which has become an adage in American life is based on the complete disobedience of the American church to the standards. And those of us who see that go, oh, we better make a rule then. We're looking for blameless men. I don't need a rule, do I? I mean, I, I need a description. A description helps me you know, echo what my own conscience would tell me. Of course I don't want a guy who can't manage his own household well. Because I, he must be blameless. If there's a guy in town whose kids are just awful, why would you want him to be your pastor again? Well, he went to Fuller. He went to Trinity Divinity School. He went to, you know, he's got some books out with uh, Nelson uh, or Zondervan. He's important. His picture's really big on the back of the books. What? Are you thinking in terms of, I need to find where my sense of blame is and operate in accordance with that which matches the description here. 
not try to create a list of rules because again you say well I would you bring any of these up if somebody applied for bishop position and he was an arrogant son of a whatnot I'd object not because he violated the standard in Titus I'd object because he was arrogant who wants an arrogant pastor And luckily, it doesn't say loves the youth. <laughs> Anywhere on the list. <clears throat> so, neener, neener. <clears throat> Who is the Christian? One thing that's real nice, and, and obviously this is the Christian guy who's qualified to be bishop, but you know it's a description of that which has been faithful to the word. Faithful to the message, faithful to that which the teaching which accords with godliness, because it is made a godly person. In all these qualities, not violent, not a drunkard, not greedy, hospitable, loves good things, master of himself, self-controlled. He must hold to the sure word as taught. Because that's where this, the, the introduction, I'm here to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This guy is supposed to be someone who holds to the sure word as taught. That has furthered their faith, that has furthered their godliness through knowledge. So much so that he's able to instruct in sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, you go to any seminary, you're going to get a class in whatever the systematic theology is of your denomination. The fact that it is internally consistent and big books and multi-volumes are written on it does not make it this kind of sound doctrine. This is, the word is for health, the soundness. It's like a sound body. I'm sound body and mind. I, I, everything is working right. Everything is functioning correctly. Everything's functioning correctly in this doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. In the teaching that these pastors say, they have held to the teaching that accorded with godliness. They have built their faith, they have built their hope in eternal life in the preaching that Paul has given. And now having held it, he's able to give instruction in it this is, if you look at pastors, you're looking at people in whom Christianity has to have worked. You should never go to a church. I don't care how successful and how get down the band is. If the leadership have, are not successful Christians. Hold firm to the sure word, able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also eat the lunch of those that disagree. Not in those terms, but confute those who contradict it. I know some dear guys that are pastors, good friends, who couldn't confute their way out of a wet sack. 
You know, this is the, oh, they're dear believers. They say dear things from the pulpit. They love the scriptures. Someone comes to them with, a, you know, not just a different doctrine that they hold, but those who contradict not your peculiarities. I have peculiarities. Let's, let's be frank. <laughs> Frank's not here, so we, let's be, oh, there he is. <laughs> Frank is here. I'm sorry. We may not be frank this morning. Um, as as uh, Bob Callahan once said, Evan's pretty nice, but he's got some pretty flaky ideas. Well, I have some flaky ideas, and I embrace that. And just because someone disagrees with one of my flaky ideas does not mean I need to be able to confute those who contradicted me. It's not centering around each of us what we choose to speculate and believe in, move towards or look at the scriptures a certain way. It's the it is the sound doctrine. The sound doctrine that was believed in the teaching of the apostles that furthered the faith and the knowledge that accorded with godliness. So when you hear someone teaching that which doesn't, can you confute them? And I don't ask you to be considering necessarily whether or not you ought to be an elder or a bishop. But what is the description of the faith here in Titus? What are we about? What are, they, what are the, 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 the apostles in Titus and the elders in Crete laboring to do? And the reason he's appointed bishops, verse 10, for there are many insubordinate men. That's why you have to be able, that's why you have to be sure in what you believed, able to instruct in it to those who are positive, and able to battle those that are negative, is because there are in the first century church, in the world where Paul and the other apostles were preaching and establishing churches, there were wacky, wacky men, insubordinate, challenging what the apostles were teaching. Because frankly, the apostles weren't as important as they have gotten over tradition. People rejected some of the apostles. These are empty talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision party. So he lets you know that one of the key elements of falseness in the church are those who were suggesting a return to the law of Moses. Especially the circumcision party. Paul fought them all over the Mediterranean. He got riots were created fighting the Jews who wanted to see the Christians adapt their Christianity into Judaism or Judaism into Christianity. Paul's response to that is, that isn't Christianity. That isn't Christianity. They, verse 11, must be silenced. since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for base gain what they have no right to teach. Believe me, falseness, you will have all sorts of options. This is for your, you're going to the uh, Shoney's or the Grandma's Kitchen or whatever these buffets are. Golden Corral, which is supported by, what's the name of that band? 
um, big in the 90s. Tim Hagen. Collective Soul. Imagine how disturbed I was watching TV and a Golden Corral commercial comes on and at the end of it, two members of Collective Soul are trying to sell you on Golden Corral. It's like they owned it, even. Collective Soul, what happened to this world? I'm sure they're making fun money. That had something to do with this. <laughs> Well, it's a buffet. Life is a buffet. No, you're not free. You're free to pick what you want. But it tell, it's telling. It, it says something about you. What did you pick? Why did you pick it? What is the description of your life? If they were to sit down and look at you, if any man is blameless, any woman is blameless, is it going to describe you? What is, what's the, the notable part? Well, he's actually kind of violent. <laughs> What is the description? We're trying to be matching our lives by the right teaching, the sound doctrine, a way of being that will make us like the godliness our Lord expects. Not because of law, but because the teaching draws us to the grace and the love that produces the right things in us. But there's a lot of other ways of going about it. There's a lot of other ways to godliness that will be taught to you. Some very legalistic, some only partially legalistic. Some of it Jewish law, some of it just good evangelical rules. But it's especially those people, and they've got to be shut up. Because they're offering you a piety of their new ideas, a piety of law. And they'll dress it up in success. You say, once again, Evan, you're suspect because you do have a small church. Okay. Write that off. Pretend you're not listening to Evan. Success, I mean, how many Americans pick the church that's the most successful? Not successful in what? That the description of the people, the description of the pastor, but it's got all the programs. It's successful. These people are empty talkers. But empty talkers sound very important because they've got this pattern of empty information that sounds to you like they know stuff that you don't know. And they deceive you. They've got law, the circumcision party, and law always looks more pious than liberty. If somebody comes in wearing a haircloth shirt and having given up Lent's coming up this uh, Wednesday, is it? Sometime, don't do it. If you do anything for Lent, tell no one on Facebook or otherwise. Don't let anybody smear any ash on your forehead and then walk around the rest of the day. Oh, did I have some pious, piousness on my head? Why, yes, I do. 
You can tell I am pious because I, I have dirt on my face. It always looks better. You know that. You know anybody who obeys a rule of don't do something looks more pious than the guy who says, no, I'm going to do it. I mean, just take a beer, for instance. Since you're probably going to be drinking beer later today. Somebody who says, yes, I'll have that beer. Versus the guy who says, no, I don't drink. The Lord loves both of them. It's great to not drink. It's great to drink. Okay? Let's get that settled. Which sounds more holy? No, I don't drink. Oh, you might have no problem with the guy who says, sure, I'll have a beer. No problem at all. But it doesn't sound holy. Right? It doesn't sound like, man, I just know this is what Jesus wants of me. The guy who gives stuff up, who follows rules, always sounds good. That's why the circumcision party is successful. That's why law works. It sounds more pious. It draws people away. Upsetting whole families by teaching for base gain. That's where I got the whole success thing. These guys are looking to succeed. They're looking to have their ministries click with you. They're the kind of advertiser that puts the good-looking woman next to the Ford Mustang. I'm strangely moved by Ford Mustang. Strangely. I don't understand it. They deal with your pride. They deal with beauty. They deal with desire. And they'll put it next to you because they know what makes them succeed. We are trying to match Jesus Christ, not match the world system of getting ahead. One of them that one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. There's a little bit of profiling, a little bit of racism, a little bit of... And, and then the apostle says, this testimony is true. That was a quote of Epimenides. I have the full quote here on the side from his Cretica. They fashion a tomb for you, holy and high one. Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But you are not dead, you live and abide forever, for in you we live and move and have our being. You recognize that part of the quote? Because that occurs in Acts 17. He quotes Epimenides again. For in him we live, move, and have our being. That was a hymn to Zeus, by the way. But he quotes this and says, you know, I know I sent you on a mission trip to Costa Rica. Oh, think of... Th Imagine this. You know what? It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. I know. Any Mexicans here? Uh, okay. Um, you're on a mission trip to Mexico, and the pastor writes you. You know, I said, I know you're in Mexico. You know, Mexicans are. Yes, I do. But we're not allowed to talk about it. That's what he's telling Titus. I sent you to Crete. You know what Cretans are like? Even a Cretan prophet. Epimenides was a Cretan prophet. And he, and he says, eh, they're awful people. Liars. This testimony is true. This is what they're like. We're not, we know, both in description of what Christians should be like and descriptions of the world, that we're accurate. <coughs> sin is sin. We don't Sugarcoat it. 
But we also want the description, how we approach from bad to good, how that is done to be the Christian way of how it is done. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, instead of giving heed to Jewish myths or to commands of men who reject the truth. Notice that second part? Well, both parts. Because if you held, oh, the world is bad, the world's a bad place, Paul had a bigger problem, not with the grotesque sins, the homosexuality, the drunkenness, the idol worship, all the rest. That's all that's evil. Jesus forgives it, brings them into Christ, and they they stop being those things. The hard thing is the problem of repentance from religion. The repentance, as it says in Hebrews, the repentance from dead works. You always think you got to, well, I got this bottle of vodka and I was going to drink it, but I guess I better repent of drunkenness. So I put the bottle of vodka aside. Because that's what sin looks like, right? Vodka. Pointless, tasteless, merely there to, uh, not flavor, you have to get the flavor someplace else. It wants to get plastered. That's what Keystone is for, right? Awful beer, merely there to get you drunk. That's sin. That's what repentance looks like. Give up, shacked up with your boyfriend. Got to give that up too. But really the problem is Jewish myths and commands of men who reject the truth. Instead of giving heed to that, we have to stop them, silence them, because Christianity is described differently. And as soon as I take the descriptions of Christianity and try to make a law or commands of what you allow and don't allow, how tempting is that to you? Verse 15, to the pure all things are pure. I put that in red because we just skim right over that. The temptation... To the pure, all things are pure. Do you believe that? All things are pure. Well, Evan, really? How about that bottle of vodka? Yeah. You bet. Not a problem. Does sin even exist? Yes, sin exists. But how you see sin, how you see, is this a description of you or is the outside law that you are modeling on the list that's based on the description of Christians? Okay, I've got a description of holy living, a description of blamelessness, either for the average believer, for the pastor, or whatever it is. I'm going to make a bunch of rules about that, and that's how I'm going to transfer righteousness to the ungodly. If I transfer righteousness to the ungodly by rules, I didn't transfer righteousness. Speaking of the ungodly. All things are pure, except for small children. (laughs) You know what I think of the youth. Alexander. Is it Alexander? Or some other kid. Is it that Pax? It's it's Pax. It's got to stop, Pax. Oh, Oh, it's not him. Out to the outer darkness. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
it knows what's happening. Oh, that's a, it's a, it's a movement. <laughs> if there's no interpreter, the belief. People have to remain silent. <laughs> to the pure, all things are pure. How, what's your relationship with the description Christ is making through his apostles of the Christian life? When it describes the pastor, when it talks about being not quick-tempered, not violent, hospitable, master of himself, do you see a hurdle, a line that you must cross? Or do you see a description that you know is the faithful existence in Christ being expressed? The, the, uh, uh, the passage that David read this morning about all of the law being fulfilled in this one command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That you know. That he who loves will be master of himself, lover of goodness. He'll be not violent or greedy for gain. If he loves. We're looking at whether or not the Holy Spirit has stepped into your life and has started to make that which can be described. Not whether or not you joined a church that handed you a sheet of paper that described actions you must take to be called good. Because to the pure, all things are pure. The difficulty are the people who have their jockey shorts cinched up, or knickers, if you're English. But to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. It is not talking about the guy with the vodka and the guy shacked up with his girlfriend, all of their sins. It's talking about the person who can't seem to see in God's creation that all things are pure, their very minds and consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God. This is what happens when you get into a legalist church, whether it's Jewish legalism or evangelical legalism. A life based on rules, not based on God changing you. I still believe you have to be holy. No excuses. You've got to be holy. This is not, oh yeah... We're antinomian. We're against the law. We don't, yeah, I get to go do what I want. No, you get to do what you are. And I'll know what you are. And God will know what you are. But we operate by description, not by law. They profess to know God. This is all going to be piety to you guys. It's all going to be that's exciting, faithful, difficult living. Because the church told me I got to do X, Y, or Z. But they deny him by their deeds. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good deed. It will be necessarily corrupt. You've seen it enough. You've seen the hypocrisy. The churches that are all about telling you what you're going to do. They're not righteous. The kids aren't righteous. Nobody's righteous. But everybody tells you to be righteous in all sorts of ways. Do you understand what detestation means? They are detestable. Who's he describing? You might not agree with me. Fine. Find out who he's describing and find them detestable. They're going to be disobedient. Do you find in those legalists the kind of Christian you want to be? The description of 
the life? Bid the older men. He says, but as for you, teach what befits sound doctrine. You know, teach what befits this health. You help sure to what was healthy. You can teach what is healthy. And you confute those who disagree with what is healthy. This is healthy. Bid the older men to be temperate, serious, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now you know that when all things are pure, to the pure, that means that you've got the right relationship with God's creation. I have a quote here on the side from Timothy. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. What does that mean? How do I deal with this pure, pure thing? How do I live in this world? He says, well, I, I know that I find that purity in being thankful to God. That means I have to, I've realized that that vodka has this benefit in God's world, and that's the way I'm going to use it, because I can, if I have to thank God for it, I mean, I, I'm going to thank him, not for what I can do to it, but what it is for. It's been made to be received with thanksgiving. It is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. When you become thankful, you have the same intentions as your God. So when you describe this Christian life, for this, I'm an older guy, I'm 61, my description is supposed to be temperate, serious, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, is that what your description is going to be? I bid you to be that because if you find that the right way, if you say, I want to be that, I'm not that, we don't want to fall for the teachers that say, we have a way of making you that. You're going to go to boot camp, Christian boot camp, and learn all this stuff and figure out what the rules are. No. There's going to be something in Christ, something in true doctrine that isn't like those rules. Bid the older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior. Not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To not be vacuous. Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, to be sensible. Chaste, domestic, kind, and submissive to their husbands. That the word of God may not be discredited. These things, you'll notice this whole idea of not discrediting the word of God. These things are what represent accurately to the world what Christianity is. And you have to ask yourself, am I to be described as a Christian? And have I found that Christian description at the end of obedience to the rules, or have I found it in the work of the Holy Spirit producing love in me, that that's what I serve? I, I'm on my knees before the Father, and I thank God for these things. So that I don't discredit what Christianity is. Likewise, I always like this, urge the younger men to control themselves. It's like abandoned ship. This is all we can hope for. We're teaching a befitting life. We're living a befitting life. That's what we hope to do. The description of older men, older women, younger women, young men, 
That's what he's looking to have there in the church in Crete. That's what he wants Titus to do, what he wants all the elders to do. And then he says, show, for your, show yourself in all respects a model of good deeds. And in your teaching, show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Also, the pastors can't be to bring discredit because they are men described as having integrity, they have gravity, weight. They have sound speech that someone can't get around. That so much so that anybody who would withstand them would be embarrassed about their argument. We're teaching what's befitting. We're living what's befitting. We think in terms of credit and discredit. Are you a credit to what Jesus Christ came to do? And don't be fooled in the long run. Don't be fooled by those who have put themselves in the position of being the gatekeepers to Jesus Christ who said, and oh yes, we need you to do these few necessary things. We need you to X, Y, or Z, do this ritual, do this good deed, not do that bad deed, stay away from that kind of thing that's marginal. They look like they know God they're the biggest problem. They have to be silenced because the real Christian life that is working in you by the Holy Spirit is just creating you into something that looks like this. Don't get in the way. And if law doesn't get in the way and you find, I'm not very good. I'm actually pretty bad. You need to come to know the Lord Jesus. That's what the gospel is for, is to save sinners. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your mercies and your Holy Spirit and the purity of life, the enjoyment of all that you've given with thanksgiving. Lord, make us into those who can be described this way. Help us understand this distinction of how piety uh, is offered on all sorts of false grounds. We'd like your godliness and a teaching in the faith that accords with it. Thank you for the eternal life coming. In your son's name, amen.